If you can dream the perfect international adventure, you can create it with Trip Canvas from AAA Travel, the all-in-one platform that lets you research, plan, and book the ultimate getaway. Trip Canvas, let's go somewhere. It goes without saying that listeners of this show love to travel. Each journey is an opportunity to learn about a new culture, sightsee, and discover mouthwatering culinary delights. But how far outside of your comfort zone have you been? Today, we're talking to a prolific travel writer who's going to take us on an eastbound journey to a land where ancient tradition meets modern skyscrapers, a place where spectacular sushi awaits around every corner and tea time rituals date back over 1,200 years. We're going to Japan. And P.S. You won't need to pack your bathing suit. I am so excited to introduce our listeners to Don George, who is not just an award-winning travel writer with tons of books and articles under his belt, but he's also a mentor for the entire travel writing industry, me most especially included. He literally wrote the book on how to be a travel writer, The Lonely Planet Guide to Travel Writing. And I will say right here that that taught me more about my current profession that I still do than any college course I ever took. So Don, I feel like not only thank you for being here and being one of my very first guests, but thank you for being my unofficial travel writing professor all these years. I really appreciate you. Thank you, Angie. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> thank oh. you. That's so nice of you. You really have paved the way for so many of us. And just having a book on the shelf that I can go back to and say, yeah, Don said that's the right way to do it. And I just, that's been priceless for me as a writer. So thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. I can't wait to get into this week's destination with you, George, because I've never been to Japan. So I can't wait to hear it. Obviously, I've read a lot of your pieces on it, but I can't wait to hear it from the horse's mouth because you've spent more than 40 years visiting Japan, right? And you've lived there. Even for a relatively small nation, there's a lot of ground to cover. So explain to us the layout of Japan, the four major islands. Like, what do we need to know just as newbies? Great. Well, the first thing to know, and this is something that surprises people often when I tell them this, but so there are four main islands of Japan. There's Hokkaido in the north. There's Honshu, which is the main island, kind of in the middle. There's Shikoku, which is sort of southeast. And then there's Kyushu. Those are the four main islands. There's hundreds of other smaller islands, but all of Japan is about the size of California. But within California of Japan, there's an incredible range of geographical diversity and cultural diversity and culinary diversity. And it's an incredibly rich and, and alluring, wonderful destination. So what do you think is a good place to start or a hub if somebody's going to Japan maybe for the first time? I think you need to start with Tokyo. Tokyo is the capital it's got everything. It's really the center of power and, and culture today, I suppose, in, in modern Japan. So I would go to Tokyo and then I would go to Kyoto, where the old traditional culture still really thrives. And Kyoto is one of my two favorite places on the planet. So I really, really love Kyoto. And it's just a, a great place to immerse yourself in, in traditional Japanese treasures and riches. And then I would go to Osaka because it's a, it's a major city. It's a really interesting city, quite different from Kyoto and Tokyo. And then I would try to get out into the, the countryside and see 
depending upon what you're interested in, see Mount Fuji from Hakone or go up to the beautiful Buddhist sacred mountain of, of Koyasan, Mount Koya, or, you know, get way out into the country, the island of Shikoku, where my wife is from, which is a really entirely different part of Japan, very pristine countryside. So there's a big diversity within Japan, but I would start out with Tokyo, Kyoto, Osaka, and then kind of follow your heart and, and your interest to other places. Is Tokyo probably the easiest to get to airport-wise if people are coming from all over? Is that where the most flights are? That's the most. Yep, absolutely. And then Osaka would be second, but Tokyo is, you can get there from almost anywhere. Tokyo is where you're likely to arrive. Okay, well, that makes sense to use that as your starting point then, right? So what are the contrasts between the cities? If Tokyo is the capital and the hub and the culture and Kyoto is more, take it away. What do you think? So Tokyo is really the political, economic hub of Japan. It really is the capital. It's where all the, the governmental seats are. And it's really the kind of the place where all the major decisions get made. And you get a great sense of Japan's technology and entrepreneurialism. And all of that is in Tokyo. Then you go to Kyoto and it's like going back hundreds and hundreds of years to a much simpler, quieter, gentler way more traditional Japan, where every tiny shop looks like a little museum. And you've got this one shop that just does chopsticks and this shop that just does wooden things and this shop that just does ceramic bowls. And so you've got all these little tiny treasure houses that I really, really love. And then Osaka is kind of the merchant capital. It's where in the old days, there weren't samurai there, there were merchants there. So it's got a really distinctive, very earthy, very of the people kind of uh, feeling to it. Great cuisine, great energy. The Osaka people are just full of this kind of robust vitality that sort of exudes out of them. And Tokyo people are much more staid, conservative, restrained, and the Osaka people are just overflowing. So it's a really interesting cultural difference there. Can we talk about the region a little bit? What is special about this part of Japan? It's a really interesting region because it's, it's sort of south-central Japan. It goes all the way from the Sea of Japan to, in the north to the Pacific Ocean on the south. It's a slice of Japan that encompasses everything from really beautiful mountain scenery to the cultural hub of Kyoto, Nara, which was the capital before Kyoto, and then Osaka, which is this kind of incredibly bustling mercantile place, and then Kobe, which is a really interesting cosmopolitan city on the coast. So it's got a really great mix of culture and landscape, really beautiful. It's got its own very special energy. It's got this tremendous kind of, that Osaka energy kind of permeates that. It's got a different dialect, Kansai Ben, which is very colorful and very vigorous and, and, and fun to talk. And that's really different from Tokyo, which is the Kanto area. And people always kind of contrast the Kanto and the Kansai. Kanto is way more formal, sort of stylized, traditional, quieter, I would say, in some ways, but, but sort of almost bureaucratic in some ways. And Kansai is way more sort of explosive. So maybe like Washington, D.C. versus Beverly Hills. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like that, without the poodles and the... <laughs> without the, the celebrities and, and right. the paparazzi. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You mentioned the different dialect. When somebody's visiting and they don't speak Japanese, is that tough not speaking Japanese? You know, do people speak English there? What's, what's the vibe? It's pretty tough. I mean, Japan is an incredibly modern, you know, super modern, technologically advanced society. But 
it's quite surprising to me that not that many people speak English or are comfortable speaking English. And even if they do know some English, there's a certain sort of Japanese reticence about embarrassing yourself. So you don't want, even if you kind of know English, you're often reluctant to speak English because you don't want to make a mistake and embarrass yourself. There's this sense of saving face. So it's quite challenging for foreigners who don't speak Japanese to get around. Once they get outside the really main tourist hubs, it's really pretty challenging. I mean, you'll find people, you can always find somebody. I always tell people to go to the younger people, like the students, because they're, they're studying English right now and they're a lot more open to speaking English. And the Japanese are incredibly, incredibly nice. They will literally go out of their way for a half hour or miles to make sure that a foreign visitor doesn't get lost or gets to wherever they're going. They're incredibly nice, but they don't really speak that much English. So it's an interesting situation for foreigners who want to venture off the beaten path. Sometimes it's actually better to go with a, a tour group or, or you know, an organized group where you have somebody who does speak Japanese. I wonder if you have a story you can share with us about that Japanese kindness, just a time that somebody shocked you with their warmth and kindness. The one that immediately comes to mind is I was naively looking for, I've been given kind of an assignment to go and buy an old、uh, woodblock print to be the cover of a catalog for geographic expeditions, which I still work for, to buy this particular woodblock print. And it, and it was in this beautiful old woodblock shop in Kyoto. And the, the head of geographic expeditions says, no, no problem, you'll find it easily. You know, everybody knows where it is. Well, so I got to Kyoto and I began wandering around Kyoto asking for this woodblock shop. And people were like,、oh, no, we'd have no idea where that is. And I finally got to this one covered mall and I was talking to a really wonderful older woman who had a kimono selling shop. And she was trying to explain to me where it was and I just couldn't follow her directions. And finally, she kind of looked at me and she smiled very, very sweetly and benignly. And she said in Japanese, just a moment. And she got up and she went to her door. And she turned around the sign that said open and she said, and it said closed. And she closed up her shop and she sort of took me by the hand and just said, follow me. And we walked for literally 45 minutes. And she took me to the doorway of the woodblock print shop and she kind of went, here you are. And I was just, you just shut your shop for 45 minutes to walk me here. And now you're going to have to walk back another 45 minutes. I said, can I give you something or something? And she said, Oh, no, 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 no. It is such a, my pleasure to you know, help a foreigner. And I was just so incredibly typical. I mean, they're really, really kind. Isn't that mind blowing? Like, what a great reason to travel when you know that people are just going to carry you around by your hand because, you know, you couldn't find the place. That's, that's darling. Right. And it's kind of the tip of the kindness iceberg in Japan. There's so many, so many acts of incredible kindness there. Let's go back to Kyoto. You mentioned it's no longer the capital of Japan, and Tokyo is now. Do you know when that changed and why? Kyoto was the capital of Japan from 794 to 1868. A long, long time. It was the capital because that's where the emperor lives. Wherever the emperor lived was the capital. But after the early sort of 17th century, 1603, the political power pretty much resided in what was called Edo because there was a Shogun there,、uh, Tokugawa Ieyasu, who was sort of the head of all the, the shoguns. He was a really, really powerful feudal lord. The emperor appointed him to be the head of all the feudal lords. So the political military power was in Edo. 
but the capital of the country was still Kyoto. And then in 1868, that was when the Western forces kind of came and opened up Japan. Japan had been isolated from the West for about 200 years. And Admiral Commodore Perry and a bunch of people came to Japan and said, we want to start trading with you. We need you. We really, really want you to open up. And so within Japan itself, there were two sides, ones that wanted to open up and ones that didn't. The ones that wanted to open up won. And when they won, the emperor was restored to power. It was called the Meiji Restoration. The emperor was restored to power in 1868, and he decided to move from Kyoto to what was called Edo then, and they renamed it Tokyo, which means the eastern capital. So he moved from Kyoto to Tokyo, and that's when Tokyo became the, the capital of Japan. Tokyo now is just an incredibly cosmopolitan place. I mean, it's it's so hustling, bustling. You can get all kinds of cuisine there, all kinds of fashion is there. I mean, of course, the whole technological world is exploding there. It's really, really a fascinating kind of wonderland to wander around in. Now, when you watch the time lapses of the intersections, when people are crossing the road, it kind of gives me heart palpitations. I'm like, I don't know if I could do that. There's so many people and they're just go, go, going. But also it seems very relaxed. People are conservative and they're, they've got a mission and they're doing their thing, but they're also chill about it, right? Yeah. So that's another amazing thing about Japan is everybody's so incredibly courteous and considerate and thoughtful. There's this sense of, I have my space, you have your space. I'm not going to invade your space. And you can be on this incredibly packed subway train, but everybody's somehow really, really fine, really cool about it. I mean, they just kind of all are in their own little space. And it's amazing to me that the Japanese have perfected the art of living together that way. They're really, really thoughtful and considerate and respectful and courteous. And as a result, Japan's an incredibly safe place. The crime is almost non-existent. It's one of the very few places in the world I can think of where a single woman can just wander around and, and really not have concerns at all. I had a friend who was just in Japan and she told a story about, she asked her concierge, you know, like, is it safe for me to go out and get some food right now? And they just looked at her like she was nuts. They were like, <laughs> right. what do you mean? Is it safe? Of course it's safe. It's Japan. Like, right. just go anywhere and you're good. And she was really taken aback. And, and me too, you know, that's, that's something you do have to think about. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me how safe it is. People just take care of each other. That's priceless in a destination. You really can't, you can't quantify that and how nice that is as a female traveler. Speaking of women, the geisha tradition was popular in the Gion district of Kyoto. So is this a living tradition or is it now viewed from a more historical perspective? Interestingly, it's a super living tradition. It's still very, very much alive and there are still new geishas coming into the art form every year. There's a kind of a geisha academy in Kyoto where dozens and dozens of young women enroll every year and they go through a really rigorous program of, of learning all of these different art forms, you know, dance and music and singing and flower arrangement and tea ceremony. They have to learn all of these things to really be a proper um, geisha. And so I thought naively that it was this like historical relic that you sort of learned about, but it wasn't a living thing, but it's an incredibly living thing. And on the tours that I um, do, we get to meet geisha and we, we talk to 
apprentices and, and veterans and get to find out how their lifestyle is. And, and naively, sometimes I think people think, well, it must be a very hard, and they must somehow have been forced into that, or that couldn't possibly be their choice. And it really is their choice. They, they had all kinds of options, and they this is what they wanted to do because it's considered a very high art form, a kind of a performance art. And you really are a specialist in Japanese culture by the time you become a really certified geisha. You know all kinds of cultural traditions that make you a really, really sophisticated artist. So you said that you lead tours in Japan. Can you tell us about that? And can guests interact with the geishas on your tours? Like, how does that work? What's the cultural expectation? So you can reserve an evening with a geisha and you go to a restaurant and you have a meal. And usually two geisha will come, one veteran and one apprentice, and the veteran will play shamisen or play music, a musical instrument of some kind, and the apprentice will dance and demonstrate the sort of traditional arts of music playing and dancing. And then they'll come and actually talk with you. They'll come to your table and they'll sit and you can ask them any kinds of questions that you want to ask them, and they will very happily respond. There's no sense of awkwardness or is it impolite for me to ask this or ask that? They're totally used to being asked whatever you can imagine. It's a really, really wonderful opportunity to speak with a sort of a living treasure representing traditional Japanese art. And I love that aspect of it, that we get to meet with people who embody this ancient Japanese tradition that's still so very much alive today. Tell me about this Japanese custom of the onsen. Because that's always intrigued me, but also kind of scared me a little bit because I don't know the details. I think in the onsen situation, you don't want to do it wrong. So what do people need to know about the onsen experience? So the onsen is hot spring bath. There's a lot of hot springs in Japan. It's such a volcanic country. There's hot springs everywhere. There are hotels and, and resorts that have private hot spring baths in your room. But the very fun sort of Japanese thing to do is to go to a public hot spring bath. And you, you walk into a room. They're, they're all usually segregated by men and women. Way out in the country, you can still find places that aren't segregated, but generally you're going to go to a, a segregated one. So if you're a man, you walk into the men's room, and there's a, a, a changing area where you take all of your clothes off, all of them. And all of your clothes. All off. the way and to the bottom. People always ask me, right, can I wear a bathing suit? And it's like, no, you cannot. You Absolutely cannot wear not. a bathing suit. No, no. All and right. No. Leave your inhibitions behind. You know, leave the inhibitions in the changing room with your clothes. And you just go into this, you slide open the door to this very steamy room where there's usually like three pools. One is very hot, one is a little less hot, and one's a little less hot. And there may even be one very cool pool. And the thing you have to know is that in Japan, you soap yourself off before you go into the bath. And that's super important because the bath is really kind of for relaxing and just letting the hot water soak into your bones and just you know, becoming a noodle. So you go to the, there's these spigots on the side of the, on the walls as you walk into the room. You go to a spigot, there's soap and there's water and there's a shower head usually. And you wash yourself off really, really, really thoroughly, completely, and you rinse yourself off thoroughly and completely. And then you go into the bath and you just settle into the bath and let the warmth soak into you and, and you go to bliss, bliss land. It's really, really wonderful. And everybody is there. People of all shapes and sizes are there and everyone's very natural and, and cool about it. It's not weird because it's common, right? Like everybody does it. 
It's totally common. You do it every day and you've done it from the day you were born, basically. So it's such an incredibly accepted part of Japanese life and sort of beloved part of Japanese life that everybody just loves it and, and you just sink right in. And once as a foreigner, once you kind of get that notion of, oh my God, I'm naked in front of all these strangers, once you get rid of that idea, it's very comfortable and it's really quite wonderful and comforting and cosseting in a way to be with all these other people in this beautiful, misty environment. And oftentimes there will be an outdoor pool as well, which I always go to. It's called the Rotenburo. It's an outdoor hot spring pool you can go into. And, and then you're sitting under the stars, usually surrounded by some greenery, some vegetation. And it's absolute heaven on earth. I just, I love that. Well, Don, you said once you get over the, oh, I'm naked in front of all these people. How long does it take to get over the, oh, I'm naked in front of all these people feeling? Right. Just like how many how many times do I have to go in the bath before I'm like, and now it's fine. Here I am. When, when do I get over that? I lead these tours and usually on the tours, people have not done this before. And for some people, it's almost automatic immediately. The first time they go in, they're like, I get this and I'm really fine with it. For other people, it's sort of the end of the one week or 10 day trip. At the very end, they're thinking, I may not ever get back here again. If I'm going to do this, I've got to do it now. And they go down and they do it. And inevitably, everybody says that was not that big a deal. It was, you know, once you did it, you did it. And nobody's looking at you. They're not staring at you. It's just you're just one of the many people in this in this wonderful hot springs bath. So. Why did I worry about it all this time, they think? Why didn't I start, you know, five days ago? And why did I freak out for the whole entire trip thinking about this this moment, right, and dreading the moment when really it was just like a fun skinny dip, right? It was a fun skinny dip, exactly. We are all brought into the world naked. Thank you. And naked <laughs> is the day you were born, bathing with a bunch of strangers in another country. Why not? Why not? And it's one of those things that after you do it, you go, I'm so glad I did that. Now I really get it. I understand why it's a big deal in Japan. I understand how it's this sort of beloved ritual that the Japanese do all the time. I get it. Now it's my ritual too. Travel is always kind of about stepping outside your comfort zone. And this is a, one of those big moments of stepping outside your comfort zone where the payoff is, is huge. It's really worth it. Do you have a favorite onsen, one you might recommend to a newbie like me? I do. I do. There's an onsen on the island of Shikoku in this town called Matsuyama, which is the original Japanese onsen. It's called Dogo Onsen. If you've ever seen a movie called Spirited Away, mm -hmm. which a lot of people have seen, the bathhouse in that movie is, is based on the bathhouse at Dogo Onsen in Matsuyama in Shikoku. So it's this wonderful, fantastic, amazing building. And it's supposedly, the legend is that 3,000 years ago, the locals saw a white heron bathing in a hot springs bath and it was injured. And after it bathed there for a little while, it emerged no longer injured. It had been healed by the hot spring pool. And the locals went, that's interesting. Maybe we should try that. And so they went into the hot spring pool and it really helped them too. They, made, they felt better afterwards. And so the legend at least is that that's how the whole tradition of hot spring bathing got started from that heron. And when you go to the Dogo Onsen on the very top of this amazing, fantastic wooden building, there's a beautiful little sculpture of a heron up there. So I really recommend the Dogo Onsen as the place to do it. It's the, it's the birthplace of the Onsen ritual, and it's a very special place. That's the spot. That's the place. My tour goes there. So if you join my tour, Angie, we're going.
Yeah. Well, I'm sold. Count me in. <laughs> I'm coming with you on your next trip. Awesome. I'm going in the onsen. I'm going to start worrying about it right now. Okay. <laughs> Just in the future. I'm going to eat all the good food. Like, you've completely sold me on Japan. Thank you. I'm in. What I love about what I do is is introducing Americans to really off the beaten path Japan. And I think a lot of people think of Japan as Tokyo, Kyoto, Osaka, Mount Fuji maybe. But then, I mean, that's like saying New York, uh, Chicago, LA, Washington is, is the US. I mean, it is and it isn't. So what I love is taking people out into the countryside where they meet Japanese people who are just living their everyday lives, who aren't that used to having tourists, and it becomes this incredibly enriching opportunity for everybody. The, the tourists love meeting these everyday people who are thrilled to have tourists in their town and to show them what's special about their, their place. And the locals are incredibly thrilled to have these foreign visitors come and visit them and kind of honor them with this visit. And so it's a real win-win. It's uh, I keep getting reminded over and over again when I do this how travel really is a two-way street. And it's not just that we come to a place and we get these great gifts and we bring them home with us, but we actually leave something really wonderful. We, we leave a gift too, which is the gift of the encounter and the engagement and the sort of cultural blossoming. So we leave these gifts with us. And I like to imagine these Japanese people way out in the country telling their neighbors about these Americans who came and they, they had dinner with them and it was amazing. And I just love the sense that that kind of spreads from person to person to person and how that makes the world a more understanding place. We understand each other better. So I, I love taking people off the beaten path in Japan and really showing them the everyday rites and rituals and rhythms and riches of, of Japanese life. And that for me is the real, real payoff, showing them everything from little tiny culinary traditions that are specific to a particular region that they wouldn't know about unless we brought them to this little tiny restaurant in the middle of nowhere where they do something amazing. Those kinds of things really impassion me, and I love showing Americans um, this side of Japan. That's the best part of travel, right? Those moments you can't get anywhere else, the non-manufactured moments that you're not going to get in a big tourist attraction. It's, it's the encounters with just regular people, and I love that. It really, really is. We want to get people off the beaten path and into these moments of exquisite encounters that you can't get any other way and that become the real thing, that, the treasure that you bring back with you. Yes, I went to that amazing temple and I went to that monument and I went to that garden. They were all beautiful. But you know what I remember? That night when I was with three local people and we were sitting around a table drinking the local sake and they were telling me about their lives and I was telling them about my life. And we all ended up hugging each other at the end of the night, which Japanese don't normally do. So it's kind of this wonderful, we all came together and we got to know each other in a very special, wonderful way that could not be reproduced any other way. And that's what I'm gonna bring home in my heart from that trip. And, and just creating moments like that is so fulfilling for me. It's, it's you know, why I became a travel writer. It's why I love leading uh, travel groups. It's just why we do what we do. And you know that, Angie. I mean, it really is why we do what we do. Creating those connections. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, 
I'm so motivated. I'm so inspired. <laughs> this is this is why you're the best at what you do. So uh, thank you for being on my show. And mm. uh, thank you for traveling with AAA. And just, you know, come back anytime. I'm ready, Angie. <laughs> I'll just... Anytime. I love talking hey, with you. again. <laughs> Don George, thank you for joining us. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us. If you're planning a trip, be sure to connect with a AAA travel advisor. Check out AAA.com forward slash travel or visit your local branch. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. I'm Angie Orth. Thank you for traveling with AAA.